0: Okay, thanks for that, i have uh, I want to share a problem with you first. Uh, I might find it difficult to project my voice. I'm taking some medication, which makes my mouth really sore. And I've got a very jagged, rough-edged t- tooth. So it's been gouging a hole in my tongue for several days now. So I've actually got a bit, a bit of chewing gum on the top of that tooth. And I might have to readjust it from time to time. So... Uh, just to prove that it's there. Anyway we'll see how it goes and I've taken a liberty because I'm not going to talk just about hearing the Dharma I'm going to talk about one or two other things as well. So just two months and one day ago we celebrated Buddha day when the Buddha realized the truth and uh, he spent seven weeks absorbing that truth, taking it into his being, Uh, a momentous turning point for humankind, Uh, a stunning turning point for us. Uh, It gives us a way out, somebody had realized it and you know transformed, he was transformed entirely by the the experience. yeah I, I, my heart just rejoices in the fact that he, he provided the you know the path for us to what he realized. So he spent that seven weeks in and around Boggaia moving from tree to tree absorbing the experience on various levels transforming his emotions, transforming his mind, transport, transforming his, who he was. In fact uh, we're told that as part of, as part of that uh, Uh, A wanderer, a a person, uh, saw him, met him and wondered what he was. He was sat in the forest, in the jungle, uh, glowing, and uh, this traveller went up to him and said, What are you? Are you a human being? Are you a Yaksha? Are you a Deva? And in Indian cosmology, they have all levels of of beings that we we, we don't recognise in the West. But he went through quite a long list and the Buddha said, no, 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 no. I'm not one of any of those categories. So he said, well, what are you? I'm a Buddha. And he says a bit about what being a Buddha is. And this uh, person who met him just said, "Okay," and went on, on his journey. What an opportunity missed! Would we be any better? Would we hear what the Buddha had said? Would we be capable of it? And sometime during that seven weeks, or in the eighth week, uh, when he tra- started travelling to 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 give his first teaching, uh, he met uh, two merchants' sons, or two sons of a merchant, uh, Tapusa Tapussa, and Balika, and. Uh, they recognized him in a way that the first person met didn't recognize them and he gave them a talk on the Dharma we're not we're not told what that was we're not told what the content is it's just about this meeting and uh, they were the first two people to go for refuge uh, the Sangha didn't exist yet so they went for refuge to the Buddha and the Dharma and we don't hear anything about them again you know In later texts they they, they come in, but from that time we don't hear about them again. So they were able to meet the enlightened mind, recognise something about it. They gave him some food, and he gave them the means to liberation. Now I've got my first problem, I've got a note here, I don't recognise what I meant by it. Yeah. So towards the end of this seven weeks, as he got uh, more and more liberated, as, as, as the as the experience descended into him, uh, part of his conundrum was what to do with this that I've received. You know, what 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 shall I do about it? It's exceedingly uh, subtle. It's exceedingly difficult to understand. And we're told. Uh, sort of mythical story. We told a story about Brahma Sahampati, uh, who's the the lord of a thousand worlds. We can take it to mean that you know he's living on a very high plane of of, uh, our sort sort of existence. He's a deva. He's the lord of the devas. Or we can take it that he's on a a psychological level, internally, that he's, he's representative of the Buddha's high attainments in the world before he, he gained enlightenment whichever but Brahmasahampati, let's take it on the mythical level uh, entreated the buddha to teach he pointed out that there were beings in the world who were who have but little dust in their eyes he didn't say everybody could get enlightened he said but there are people who can get enlightened and we're told that the buddha surveyed the world and saw so with his with his Buddha eye uh, that there were p- beings who were able to, to absorb the import the the, the importance of uh, of what the, the Buddha had to teach. And res- in response to Brahmā Sahampati, he says the Buddha says, "Wide open are the gates leading to the deathless state. Let those who have ears to hear put forth their faith, their faith, sorry." So he then considered, well, who has ears to hear? Who are the particular people? And at first, he considered his two teachers, uh, teachers that he met in, in his spiritual journey, and he'd attained their attainments, but then realised for himself that that wasn't the end of the path. But again, he saw with his, his Buddha eye that uh, the two teachers had already died. So he turned his mind to the five contemporaries. He, he, shortly before uh, his uh, attainment of enlightenment, he was with a group of five other uh, ascetics and he'd left them. He'd ceased to be uh, fasting him, uh, fasting himself almost to death. He ceased to be doing you know, really hard practices in the middle of the hottest period of time, surrounding yourself by fires and, and likewise things with the other elements and uh, in his mind's eye he could see that these uh, ascetics were uh, in Sarnath in the Deer Park at Sarnath so the last on the eighth week after his enlightenment he uh, took to the road and walked the hundred or so miles to the Deer Park at Sarnath i checked the uh, temperature in Bihar which is where Bodh and Sarnath is yesterday and it's about 36 degrees and uh, he walked, it's like us walking from here to Birmingham, three or four days ago. Uh, exceedingly difficult. We, in this country we get a bit annoyed with the sun after a couple of days. We beg for it all winter and then it gets too hot and we say, blimey, it's too hot. But uh, he wasn't concerned with worldly concerns. He was directed towards the spiritual plane his mission was to go and spread the Dharma, to turn the wheel of the Dharma. So as he's approaching them, uh, they look at him coming and they say, oh it's that old scoundrel, he, uh, he turned away from the spiritual life, he started eating. What a wastrel. And uh, they wanted not to have anything to do with him, they wanted to turn their backs on him. But they could see as he approached closer, the the appearance of the Buddha. And they were receptive to him by the time he arrived at, at where they were staying. They created a space for him, they got him water to wash his feet and to drink and, and the usual things to make somebody comfortable after they'd been on such a rough journey. <coughs> uh, and the Buddha started teaching them. Now I always had in my mind's eye sort of turned up on the uh, this day started turning the wheel of the Dharma and they got it just like that. I'd forgotten when I was was looking up for this uh, talk that uh, it probably took two or three months as a process for all five of them to attain enlightenment and you get this impression of these almost debating with them. We're told that uh, they took it in turns to go to the local villages to beg for the food bring it back and then he'd just go through the Dharma again. Again, we're not told in much detail, except in later texts, exactly what he was saying to them. You know, some of the later texts say the, it was the Noble Eightfold Path, it was, you know, uh, Dukkha, the arising of Dukkha, the ceasing of Dukkha, and the Noble Eightfold Path. But that's all later stuff, all that, all that making everything into a, a regular table. So there was a, a, a direct, you know, the Buddha hadn't done this before, so presumably he was looking at ways to communicate to the unenlightened mind. The Buddha was still in the aftermath of, the, uh, of his experience and uh, they just worked their way you know, to, to uh, one of them, uh, realizing an enlightenment. And, w- and we're told in, in some texts that Khandanya has it, Khandanya, he's reached it, he's got it. And uh, one after one they sort of gradually become enlightened. And you know, we need to be aware of the huge difference there is between the enlightened mind and the unenlightened mind. You know, uh, we can't encompass an ordinary mind. I meet your mind, you meet my mind, you meet somebody else's mind. And we can't encompass each other as human beings. We can't, we're not knowable <coughs> to each other. So how much more so with the enlightened mind? I mean this is the problem we're struggling with as Buddhists. How do we know the enlightened mind? How do we open ourselves up to it, gain, gain it? Anyway, during this process, over the, over the two, three months of the rainy season, uh, it becomes known that this group of uh, ascetics are, are there, are present as they go around begging. And uh, very soon after the five know it, uh, villagers come, they receive teachings, it becomes, quite quickly, it becomes that there are 60 people who have realised enlightenment, including the Buddha. And uh, at this point, the Buddha instructed that uh, these 60 people should each go in their own direction and spread the Dharma. They should go abroad. I mean, a lot of these peoples would be householders, I presume. So whether they went for refuge to the Sangha, or whether they stayed with the the household life, it's not not clear. But the Buddha certainly gave the directive to send off these people, just to go and practice, to spread the word. So one of the people who went off was Ashvajit one of these 60. And uh, we're told he went off and did the the normal thing of begging for his food. And uh, his demeanor was so uh, attractive, his his manners were so attractive. Uh, This seems to be one of the levels in which enlightenment affects us, that we become grateful, that we become bright and shiny that we become attractive to other other beings, to other folk. And uh, in one village he's, he's spotted by a young man called Sariputra. Now Sariputra is quite an exceptional young man. He's, he's got a close friend called Moggallana. We've probably heard these names. But Sariputra and Moggallana have gone forth and have already got a teacher but they're, again they're not satisfied with that teacher's teachings. And they uh, decided to go forth and find the path to enlightenment and part of their agreement with each other that they would go separate ways so that they would have more chance of meeting people, covering more areas and stuff like that but once they'd found the path themselves then they would go and find the other half of the pair and share their, their knowledge with each other. So Ashwajit's in a village, he's doing his begging round, uh, Sariputra goes and stands near him, waits until he's, he's, he's got his, uh, his, his food and then goes and sits with him. And he ha- asked Ashvajit who his teacher is, what his teaching is and so on. And uh, Ashvajit, we're told at this stage, is a stream entrant. He's, he's entered the stream is irreversible from, from enlightenment. But he says to Sariputra, I'm just a beginner. I hardly know anything. And he gives him a very short, very famous verse, which I couldn't remember. I couldn't find the translation that I wanted. But basically it's uh, all things that arise are going to dissolve. They're going to disappear. Basically he says everything's impermanent. And uh, for Sariputra his dharma eye opens. He himself becomes the stream entrant at this point. So he then goes off and uh, finds Moggallana. And I've wondered how did he do it? (laughs) You know, how did he do it? Uh, Was there some sort of system, you know, like we text you? do you leave a note where you've been wandering and say if you see a guy that looks like this can you give him this note I would guess that they would have a system for you know passing round the society how, where people were and how they got there but it's hard for us to imagine now in, uh, in an electronic age so he, fi- he finds Moggallana and uh, gives him the teaching and Moggallana himself becomes a, a stream entrant now the thing about Sariputra and Moggallana is they were mainstays of the order. And they're they're famous be it, for being uh, you know, two of the most important disciples uh, of the Buddha, and uh, you know the Buddha seemed to have trusted them implicitly, especially uh, Sariputra. Uh, he trusted Sariputra with uh, the Buddha had a son whose name just escapes me. Anybody remember Rahula? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Rahula who, who came into the order when he was very young and so uh, the Buddha asked Sariputra to look after Rahula Rahula would be his disciple uh, yeah so not much about hearing yet i'm talking more about teaching but there's an attitude to hearing that we need to be aware of uh, When we hear the word of the Buddha, and we've got the Pali text and other texts that uh, encapsulate the word of the Buddha, we we read the words and they don't have the same effect on us as they did as when they were uttered by the Buddha. And it's understandable. Uh, What the Buddha said at this time was the was the Buddha Varchana? it was the word of the Buddha, or the word of an enlightened being, of an enlightened consciousness. Uh, we could say the same words to each other, we often do. When we give talks, we, we get quotes from the politics and we give you the words. But they wouldn't have the same effect on you as they would from the Buddha, or from an enlightened being. Somehow there's something in the being of a Buddha uh, The consciousness of the Buddha. Somebody who really knows. I was having a conversation a few minutes ago and uh, we were talking about impermanence. And you know, yeah, I know impermanence, I know impermanence, I know impermanence. But I don't know it. I know it on an intellectual level, but I don't realize it. I still make plans as though I'm permanent. I can't absorb the teaching. So the Buddha's word, the, Buddha's word, the Buddha Varchana, is if you like a sound from beyond. It's beyond this world. It's coming from a totally different dimension. It's a, a sound of the supramundane. So it carries all the knowledge and uh, weight and experience of having the exp- uh, you know, just having the experience. now when we convert uh, i i sometimes like it uh, to, just to give you a metaphor uh, it's, it's likened to a recipe you know we can go on uh, uh, to the cookbook and uh, we've got the recipe and we look at the recipe and Think, oh, well that sounds nice but we've not tasted it we've not experienced it we've not transformed the ingredients from the raw materials to the finished pie yeah the buddha's found the recipe, he's written the recipe, there was no recipe before him in, in this life. And uh, he's transformed the elements, he's experienced the elements, he knows directly. So obviously if you're in that situation you can just talk with much more weight. But even if you meet a Buddha, we've already, we've already heard of the first person who met him who didn't recognise his recipe. He, uh, he just didn't receive it. He wasn't interested in the recipe. And part of the uh, problem we have is that we, we have attitudes that uh, prevent us from, from, from receiving it. There's a, a traditional uh, metaphor again of uh, listening, uh, of the faults of uh, a listener, is a, a pot. So you have a pot. You put it on there, it's got an opening at the top and you can pour stuff in. But the faults of listening are that, well sometimes we just have the pot turned over. There is no entrance. So whatever is given to us, we're not receptive. We're not going to receive what's been sent to us, just like a pot that's upside down. Another uh, fault that can can, uh, be part of our problem is that we uh, the, the pot contains something. We already have our own views. Uh, we already have ourself, we've, we've, we've got all our conditioning and, and everything else. And when uh, the Dharma is poured into us, uh, it's just poisoned by our views. We'll accept this bit, but not that bit. Uh, I don't know about that bit, that's too big to think about yeah so whatever comes in uh, is affected by our own conditioning, by our views, by, by our our content. we're not clean, we're not pure. and the last the last uh problem that we can have is the pot's just got a hole in it. So whatever is poured in just leaves the pot. uh we We don't remember, we remember vaguely. it's something like this you know it's really really difficult for us to remember anything so we just we just lose what's given to us we're not we're, we can't keep it so bearing those issues in mind I'm, I'm, I'm just going to talk about uh, how a few people heard the Dharma and it's not just hearing one example is where it's not hearing and uh, you know think about the faults that those people exhibit Now, as well as uh, Sariputra and Moggallana, who were the leaders of the, of, the, of the men's wing of the Sangha, there were two female equivalents, uh, Kema and Uplavana. And, uh, the Buddha talked about those as being the foremost female disciples in pretty much the same way as he does about Sariputra and Moggallana. But, as you'd expect, there is not as much about the two women in the polytext as there is about the two men. I say as you would expect, because the polytexts were probably kept by the men. There will be some editing and things like that. But anyway, we have these two disciples. Well, they're, they're not disciples yet. One of them uh, is Upalavana, uh, uh, has got the... Uh, uh, the, the beauty of a blue lotus, she has the, uh, uh, what's it called, the, the aspect of your face, the com- complexion of a blue lotus, and this is seen as really beautiful. Now I quite find it quite difficult to imagine a woman who's sort of blue, <laughs> <laughs> but it obviously has some sense because it's seen as being a really beautiful, and these, and these women are talked about in terms of beauty not talked about in terms of other attributes. But what I really want to, to focus on is, is Kema. Uh, well, actually, I'll just say a bit more about Uplavana. She, uh, she's very beautiful, and uh, suitors are starting to arrive. And uh, her father recommends that uh, rather than put up with all these suitors turning up and they just keep saying no, that she becomes a bhikkhuni a nun. And that's what she does. She just goes off and becomes a bhikkhuni. Now Kama is the uh, the wife, one of the queens of King Bimbisara. Uh, Bimbisara uh, was a uh, a contemporary of the Buddha. They seem to have been quite good friends, and he became. Uh, uh, a follower of the Buddha and went for refuge. In fact, uh, he had a, a, quite a big empire around Rajagriha, Magadha. And uh, he, he met a sticky end because his son uh, uh, murdered him. Uh, because he was competitive. He wanted to become the king. Anyway, that's by the by. Now Kema did not want to meet the Buddha. She was very self-conscious about her beauty. But the king thought she should meet the Buddha. So he knew that Kama really liked beautiful things. So he told her how beautiful the monastery was that the Buddha was staying at. You know, beautiful gardens, beautiful walks, etc, etc. So Kama thought, well, yeah, I'll, I'll go along, I'll, I'll have a look-see. And, uh, as she, as she got there, she, she saw the Buddha and he, he saw her. And he didn't say anything to her. Uh, this is my case of where he didn't hear she didn't hear the Dhamma. What he did was to create uh, an apparitional woman next to him. And this woman was stunningly beautiful. She made Kama look very, very ordinary. And she uh, saw so she had greater beauty than Cayman and over a period of a few minutes she slowly the Buddha slowly aged the apparition the skin became wrinkled the hair became gray the body became aged until it passed away became a corpse became a pile of bones what a teaching (laughs) what a teaching and Khema understood that all conditioned phenomena are impermanent, directly. She became an Arahant. She joined the order. Okay, to move on. How are we doing for time? I can take a chunk out, you see, if we're, if we're losing time. So I think that's that's the last one where we we don't have any teaching verbally and any hearing verbally. I want to move on to uh, Super Buddha. He's not a relative of the Buddha at this point. He's a leper. And uh, wherever he was, I can't remember he was, he saw a great crowd gathered. And he thought they must be doing an almsgiving over there. So he went over there and he found actually it was the Buddha giving a talk to all his followers. So Super Buddha said, well I'm here now, I'll stay and listen. And the Buddha surveyed the crowd and he was wondering if anybody was present who was capable of understanding. So this is an echo of his original position, is there anybody in the human race who's capable of understanding uh, the Dharma, of realising the Dharma. And here again, he's giving a talk to a, a crowd of people and he scans the crowd and says, who here is capable of understanding? And he sees that uh, Super Buddha, the leper, is capable. He seems to be the only one in the crowd. He's the only one that's, uh, that's mentioned. So he addressed his talk specifically to Super Buddha, even though he's talking to the crowd. We're told he gave a progressive talk uh, he talked about dhāna, about giving, about morality, about the peril, the vanity, the defilement of pleasures of the senses. Uh, and he saw that by the end of this talk, Super Buddha's heart was ready. It was malleable. It was devoid of hindrances. It was uplifted, devout. Uh, so the Buddha taught Dukkha. He taught the arising of Dukkha its cessation, and the path to the end of Dukkha. And for Suprabuddha Buddha again, his Dharma eye opened. Whatever is of a nature to arise, all that is of a nature to cease. And he could see that Suprabuddha Buddha had seen the Dharma, had reached the Dharma, had found the Dharma, had plunged into the Dharma. He crossed over doubt, he put away uncertainty. He just t- attained self-confidence. He wasn't dependent on anybody else. He didn't need another teaching. And then Builder says uh, a very common verse, it is wonderful, Lord, it is marvellous, Lord, you, you know this has happened, light's been turned on in the darkness and, and things like that. If you read the, uh, the polytext, you'll see that sort of saying quite, that, quite regularly. And he goes for refuge as a lay follower. So I find this really interesting because super buddha didn't know he wanted to be enlightened. He didn't know he was ready, he wasn't searching, it was given to him, he was capable. He was in a position where he could realise the Dharma. So the Buddha gave him the Dharma. So moving on to another example. This is one of my favourite stories. Uh, in a way, it's, it's uh, I spent a lot of my older uh, life teaching the Dharma and this was the inspiration, very much the inspiration for me. And uh, the monk who inspired me was Nagasena. Uh, no, Nagasena is the monk who answered King Melinda's questions. I don't know. Some of you will have come across King Melinda's questions. Melinda was uh, a Greek, uh, Menander in Greek, in Greek, and uh, you know he sort of being left behind as Alexander had sort of rampaged through the Middle East and then on into India. He was he was a king who was who was left behind to on this particular territory, probably somewhere around Afghanistan, that sort of area, the northwest, and. Uh, I remember reading this a a long time ago and being inspired by it, and I was looking for it recently, and I couldn't find the story. So, I might have invented this, but it's a great story anyway. (laughs) So Nagasena did what monks do, he wandered from house to house, begging for his food, and then he'd uh, he'd, uh, eat his food, and then afterwards he would give a teaching to the householder. So one particular time, he, he went to a house, and there was an old woman living there. So she gave him some food, they sat down, she waited while he he finished his meal. Then he started giving her the teaching. Now I don't remember what the teaching was, I don't know if it even said it. But he notices that old woman has changed. Something about her has changed. So he thinks about what he said to her and he became a stream entrant. Now I think, I think many people who teach the Dharma, many order members who teach the Dharma, uh, have had worldly sort of similar, similar experiences. You give a talk or you, re- you spontaneously re- reply to somebody in a study group and more comes out of you than you knew you had in you. You know, what, what teachers really need is excellent questions from pupils because sometimes it can come up with an excellent response. And I'm taking this experience to be an example of more than an excellent response. You give somebody the truth, they realise it and you get it back. So yeah, you know for for, for an order like ourselves who are so active in teaching and things like this, I think this is a really important aspect I remember when I, I started the Buddhist Centre in the first, in, in Accrington, uh, in the first 12 months. Well, about six months through I thought, well I've given them everything. And you know, I've been through Bansy's lectures, I've given them the Eightfold Path, I've given that, I've given them that. Uh, 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 uh. And I thought by the end of 12 months I won't have anything more to say. And then after 12 months I realised that actually, I'd moved on more than they had i have made more progress than they had. Because I'd had to, you know, for every, I realised at one stage, for every hour's talk I gave, I was spending about 25 hours doing it. <laughs> you know, so I was doing a lot of work. But, you know, there is something about externalising what you know, or it being pulled out of you by a, a good question, or, or some situation, and you move on, something comes out of you. And very often for that to happen, you have to stand out of the way. You have to stand out of the way. <coughs> anyway, last example: uh, Tudapantika. Uh, this is a story from uh, uh, from Pa, Pabongkapa, teaching a, a Tibetan uh, teacher, very well-known teacher who uh, was in the last part of the nineteenth, first part of the twentieth century. Uh, and he tells this story about Tudor Pantaka. a Pantaka is a, 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 a Hindu, the, what's the, the, the top? Brahmin? Brahmin, thank you, is uh, a Brahmin who's gone forth. He decides to go forth and he becomes a monk. But he has a problem, he can't remember the Dharma. So he's got a teacher, somebody who's gonna, and uh, this teacher, you know, he goes to all the usual lectures and all that sort of stuff, and he can't remember a single word. So he talks to his teacher, and his teacher says, well, I'll I'll teach you a couple of verses, and they're two four-line verses. I haven't got them here, but they're two four-line verses. And he spends three months trying to memorize these verses. He must have them written down, and he goes around and he recites these verses. And uh, where he sits and recites them, there's workmen around and people coming past. And uh, they've all remembered these verses because they've overheard him saying them out loud, trying to teach them himself. And he can't remember them. (laughs) So he's he's despairing by it this time. Uh, So he goes back to his teacher, and his teacher, we're told, tells him to go away. You're a waste of time. But we're also told the teacher says that because he knows that this monk, uh, uh, Tudor Pandika, will, uh, will go off and talk to the Buddha. So he, he goes off, he goes and sees the Buddha, and he tells the Buddha his problems. And uh, the Buddha realises that he's got some sort of karmic blockage. He's not pure. He's not pure inside. He can't receive the Dharma because whatever. Now, And he asks, well, can you clean all the other monks' shoes? So he, he goes off and he, he, he cleans all the other monk's shoes, but it doesn't have the, the, the effect. He doesn't clean, clean his, uh, his karma. He still can't memorise the, the, uh, the Dharma. So the Buddha says, well, can you sweep the courtyard? He says, yeah, I can sweep the courtyard. When, you, when you're sweeping the courtyard, I want you to say to yourself, abandon dirt, abandon stains. So he goes off and uh, cleans the the left-hand side of the courtyard. Then he goes and cleans off the right-hand side of the courtyard, reciting this word to him all the time. And as he does the right-hand side, the left-hand side gets dirty, and as he does the left-hand side, the right-hand side does the dirty, gets dirty, because the Buddha is putting leaves there and everything there because he knows he has to do a lot of work. Now this is quite uh, analogous to uh, uh, Milarepa's situation you know, but uh, Milarepa had killed somebody with black magic and his teacher realised that he would never realise the Domain and he made him build a series of towers, he had to construct the tower then take it down, reconstruct the tower two feet over, take it down and so on so uh, he keeps this practice up he, keep, he remembers the words, abandon dirt, abandon stains. And then he finds verses start spontaneously coming into his mind. Uh, desire is dirt. Desire is stained. Anger is dirt. Anger is stained. Ignorance is dirt. Ignorance is stained. Uh, and he becomes fully enlightened. Now, uh, that's not the complete story, but he couldn't hear until he worked off all his negative karma, until he, you know, he, he was purified. I'll quickly say what the story was. Uh, he was he was always thought as being very very stupid because he couldn't memorize everything. And everybody in the sangha knew he was very very stupid, and uh, I think it was the Buddha said to. Uh, a group of nuns he is now your teacher and they were a bit <laughs> unhappy about this situation so they thought they'd uh, when he came for his for, to do his first, first teaching that they'd uh, build a very very high seat in Tibet if you're a, the more realized you are the more senior you are the higher is the seat but as it gets quite high they do put a set of steps up so you can get onto it but the nuns didn't put a set of steps there so uh, we're told he he actually physically threw down the uh, the throne and he sat just on the throne piece and then he uh, levitated into the air and produced various visions around about himself and the nun's opinion changed (laughs) so to wrap it up the skills of listening We need to be open like the pot. We need to block up the holes within us. We need to give up on our own views. We probably, most of us, need to do a lot of purification. We may be close to the Dharma. We may leak the Dharma. We may poison the Dharma. We may be actively seeking the Dharma like Sariputra. We may be looking for something else, and have Dharma thrust upon us, like Super Buddha was looking for food but he was given the Dharma. We may be teaching the Dharma and not ourselves, reflecting enough on on it enough. Uh, Maybe we do need to purify ourselves so that we can receive the Dharma. Uh, Whatever our condition is today, we're all gathered together to celebrate the turning of the wheel of the Dharma. Namo Dharmaya
1: I was being captured by the content actually. I've heard, no matter how many times I hear the story, the events around the 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 Buddha's um, well post the early days was his post enlightenment. I never tire of hearing um, that, that the stories. It just it's like I'm a leaky pot. I forget, and um, and it was really good that you opened up with that and reminded us me us of. The stories from the Pali Canon of the Buddha, around of what happened after the Buddha's enlightenment. It's so just, again, I think it brings in the enlightenment story down to a, down to a human level, down to, to us. Um, and I really enjoyed the uh, metaphors, the recipe metaphor, um, and I've written here: Do we try and make the cake to taste the actual experience of the Dharma? Yeah, you know, we. We're assembling the ingredients, I think this is this is how I took it, where we go to study groups, maybe we come along to talks, we listen to talks and read books and so on. So we've got all the ingredients, but do we actually try and put them together and try and bake the cake which, the ing- from the ingredients to actually taste, you know, enlightenment for ourselves. And I really like, well, that one was relatively new to me, but the hearing the um, pop metaphor again was just a very good a reminder of, uh, well, you know, are we upturned? You know, how receptive are we? Are we upturned? Are we leaky, split and leaky? Um, or are we filled up with other views which are cantankerous um, um, against the, the, the views um, expanded by the Dharma? Again, very good. And I love the stories as well. Love the stories. And, and I really like, the, finally, the, the point, excellent pupils with excellent questions create excellent pupils and excellent teachers and I think it just reminded me of the fact that we all carry a responsibility I guess to, to keep the Dharma alive in the West. Um, we might default to other people. We all we all have our responsibility to play and and, and create these excellent questions to uh, put to people. So well, what does this mean? What does this mean? You know, how do you meditate after so many years and so on and so forth? So carry, I think we we just got to carry on creating excellent questions which demand um, us to be clear of, of the Dharma and so on. So thank you very much, Promoter. You've um, earned a cup of tea. But we're not going to have um. a cup of tea. Um, well, first of all, I'd like to thank Promoter again.